Welcome to the Dear Rochester Retire Well Podcast with David Pulsini from Six Point Financial Partners. In this podcast, find your path towards a brighter financial future with David as your guide as he helps individuals, educators, and healthcare professionals explore ways they can build wealth while minimizing risk using a multifaceted, comprehensive approach to personal finance. Are you ready to take the first step towards a brighter financial tomorrow? Let's get started. Our next podcast series is going to focus on six things that we tell our clients in their respective age group. So for example, six things we tell our clients in their fifties or six things we tell our clients in their sixties, and we will work our way up from the age range of the twenties and thirties all the way through the seventies. So if you are a listener in the later age groups, hang in there, it is coming. And also if you're listening, the exact advice might not apply to you at this time, but I'm sure you can learn from it and also pass on to the people that are important to you in the proper age ranges. And to save you all from having to listen to me too much, I'll be bringing in expert guests for most of the series. And by the way, there are literally hundreds of things we could do for each age group, but we're going to just focus on the top six. Today, we were fortunate enough to have Jesse Kramer helping us with the six things that we tell our clients that are in their 20s and 30s. Jesse is the founder of The Best Interest, a financial literacy company. He focuses on personal finance and investing education via weekly articles and podcast episodes. And coming in the fall of 2021, he hopes to expand into the classroom in the greater Rochester schools and colleges, which is awesome. Um, obviously, our students definitely need to be learning about personal finance. He lives in Rochester, New York with his girlfriend, their full-time dog. And whenever foster dog or dogs happen to be home at the time, he has two degrees in mechanical engineering and works full-time as an engineer. So, Jesse, thanks for being with us today. We appreciate the time. Um, Dave, hey, thanks thanks for having me on. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, you got it. So, how does a, give us a little more background. How does a mechanical engineer get into finance? And how did you get into blogging and finances in the first place? Yeah, great question. I, I think of myself as a fairly average Joe who went through the typical schooling process, went to college, graduated with college with a between college debt and an auto loan, about $50,000 in debt. And like many people at age 22, 23, really didn't know what to do with my money. I was getting a paycheck, I think a pretty average paycheck for the first time in my life, that felt good. But I knew I had this debt looming. I know I knew I, I should be saving for retirement, but I really wasn't sure how. And I finally had the money to buy all those things that I had wanted as a teenager, but never had the money for. So I had these competing interests. I wasn't sure what to do. And I've, many of my coworkers were in the same place, my younger coworkers. So we started talking to one another about things we'd learned, you know, different, different ideas that would help our financial lives. And eventually I started writing some of that stuff down, you know, sending out the, the, the group email at work. You know, I was that guy. Yeah. And between those coworkers and some friends and some family, they said, Jesse, you know, why don't you publish this stuff online? People might want to read it. And that's really how the best interest was born. That, that's a cool story. And I can tell you for the listeners out there, I, I have read the best interest blog and it's easy to read. It's not like crazy technical financial stuff. It's easy reading. Obviously you're a great writer. So what is, what's the favorite part? What is your favorite part of doing the blog overall? My favorite part, I mean, the writing is a lot of fun and I do, you know, if, if I will, I, I pride myself, Dave, on being able to take something that might be complex and try to explain it simply. It's probably part of the engineer coming out in me. 
both my parents were school teachers. So I think maybe some of them rubbed off on me and, and be able to explain things, but getting the feedback from readers, whether it's a compliment or whether it's someone saying that they shared an article with their friend or what I especially like is answering reader and, and listener questions is then coming and saying, you know, Hey, can, can you explain this a little bit more? One of my best college friends, he had a, a baby back in September, his firstborn. And he wrote to me within a week and said, Jesse, I would love to know more about 529 plans. So two weeks later, I published a, a complete breakdown on, on 529 plans. So that kind of reader act, reader interaction is my favorite part. Yeah. And I mean, you've really grown it from, from no readers, right? Because you started at work yeah. with a couple of guys you're sending emails to. So, and it's really kind of blown up over the last few years. How, how has it grown? How many people are reading it? Yeah, it, it did. It started with, with nothing. And, and I was happy with the few people who were reading it. It was what it was all I wanted, but in the 30 months now, two and a half years since it started, it's gotten to the point where I now have between 25 and 30,000 readers per month. And I've kind of been on that plateau now for about the last six months. So I've just been working and working away, trying to put out more content. And I'm really hoping to break through that plateau and kind of see what the future holds. That is 25 to 30,000. That's a significant number. Do you know, do you know what age group they're in? Which I think might lead us right into the twenties and thirties thing, because I'm guessing, and I don't know this by the way, for the mm -hmm. listener, I have no idea, but I'm guessing that most of these people are in their twenties, thirties, maybe forties, but I have no I, idea. I would think so too, based on some of the topics that I write about Dave. And I think if I had a team with me, cause I'm really, I'm just a one man band. If I had a marketing expert who really knew their Google analytics, I could probably get some data on that, but uh, I'm, I'm not really sure. I know my, my Twitter followers tend to be young. Uh, a lot of the people who do interact and if I'm able to kind of search their name and see who they are, they tend to be young. So I do think it's that twenties to thirties age group, people who are really for the first time in their lives, trying to find their financial footing. Yeah. So, and that's the reason I wanted to be on today because most of your material is aimed just by your own life experience, right? At the mm -hmm. age group of the twenties and thirties. And I know that you do more than that, but there is a lot of material that you've put out and put out a lot of material in general, but especially toward that age group in general. So we've talked about this. Obviously, the purpose of this podcast is to give some, I'll call it unsolicited advice to these folks. And mm -hmm. today, again, we want to talk to the 20s and 20 and 30 year olds that are listening out there and also have it not coming from me. It's almost like I don't want to listen to the financial advisor say it. It's the old, if my parents tell me to do something, I'm not going to do it. But if yep. someone else tells me, the cool <laughs> uncle tells me, Yeah. but I want you to be the cool uncle today. <laughs> so, and again, I love the, the six things we tell. It's, it's true to the name of Six Point Financial. And I just, I just keep that going. And six is enough, by the way. We can tell people, again, hundreds of things. But let's just get going with the first thing, get this rolling. Obviously, you're an expert at this. You have plenty of material. And that's, again, why I wanted to have you on. So what? I don't know if we want to start with the younger age and work our yeah. way up through the late thirties, but what do you have for us first on somebody, something that you would tell somebody in their, in their twenties and thirties? Yeah. Yeah. I like that idea. Start with the young age and move right. up and I will be cool. Uncle Jesse, any full house fans <laughs> out there, uncle Jesse, that's right, you know, John that's right. Stamos. Um, By the way, they can't see you, but he looks just like him. <laughs> <laughs> well, my first one, Dave, uh, for the younger folks out there is uh, plant the flag and set the goals. That's my first tip. And what I mean by that, I want to compare two people. The first person doesn't really know where they stand financially, and they're not really sure where they want to be financially, but they do want progress. They know that much. 
that's okay. That's, that's human. We've all been there in life, but it's not ideal. And I want to contrast that person against someone who knows exactly where they are. They, they have a net worth statement. They know their assets and their debts. They know exactly where they want to be. They've thought to the future and, and they know they want kids. Maybe they know where they want to live. They know when they want to retire and they, they know those two endpoints and therefore they know the progress that they want to make. Now that second person is in a much better, a much better place because it's so much easier to make plans, to check off your goals as you pass them. If you have planted the flag by knowing where you are right now, and then if you've set goals, I call them SMART goals. It's, I'm not the only one. It's a fairly a common acronym. SMART goals have these details about them that make the goals easier to, to achieve. So by planting the flag and setting goals, that's really one of the first steps, I think, in, in uh, planning your financial future. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I will tell you, that's the most intimidating step, right? Just starting, plant the flag, yeah. start moving forward. I don't know if this is one of your other points, but how does somebody go about doing that? How do they even begin? You're, you're 22 years old. You just got out of college. You just got your first job. You're, lots of things are happening. Where do you mm -hmm. begin to even start with this? I mean, I would start small, to be honest with you, Dave. Um, it's funny how our five-year plans and our 10-year plans, they can come true. I've always been surprised by how much can change in that five-year or 10-year timeline. I, I thought I would be an astronaut. Well, it turns out I'm a firefighter. You know, like those long-term yeah. plans, they're, they're not the easiest to stick with. Life throws us curveballs. So I would bite off a small chunk. If I was 22 right now, I would first sit down and list out all my debts because I know I probably have some. Mm -hmm. I'd list out all my assets, which might not be very, very big. And I would just try to create maybe a three-year plan and say, by the time I'm 25, I want to have half of my student debt paid off. I want to own a car outright. Maybe that means I'm going to get a used car. So I would start small. And once you get that ball rolling, and really once you start learning, that's one of the biggest things that you can do young as well. Once you start learning, you'll start to grow and, and things will start to feel less intimidating for you. Yeah. What, what's the saying? You, you underestimate what you can achieve in the long term and overestimate yeah. what you can do on a daily basis or something it's a, like it's that. Bill, it's a, a bill. Well, it's attributed to Bill Gates. I, it literally inspired a whole article I wrote last March when I turned 30 there. One, one version of it, Dave is people tend to overestimate what they can accomplish in a year, but they tend to underestimate what they can accomplish in 10. Cause it's, it's hard to think 10 years out in the future, a lot can change between now and then. It can. And your awareness level, like you said, as you learn and, new things pop up and happen. It can mm -hmm. change directions and hopefully it's for the better, right? So, yep. all right, point number one, plant the flag, get a plan, start moving forward. What is the second thing you would tell somebody in their 20s and 30s? It's, it's pretty specific. Uh, some of your listeners who have their financial footing, they might be past this step, but for those who are unsure, I think that they need a budget. That's number two on my list. You need a budget doesn't have to be crazy, but you cannot manage what you don't measure. Or another way of saying that is you can't improve your finances if you're not measuring your finances on a regular basis. Uh, a simple budget is one that, that tracks your money. It says before the month, your budget says, this is how much I want to spend in the upcoming month. And then as you move through the month, or maybe at the end of the month, you look backwards and you say, this is how much I actually spent. You're looking at your behavior, your spending behavior. You're seeing how well you're able to stay on track. And again, I want to contrast that with the opposite. 
someone who has no idea where their money is going each month. That's pretty bad. It's, it's a little scary to not know where your money is going each month. Once someone has budgeted for, say, two or three years, Dave, maybe even less, maybe it only takes someone six months or one year, and they get that confidence that they know how to handle their money on a regular basis, maybe they can turn the dial down on budgeting. Maybe they don't need to stick with it as religiously. But I think someone up and coming who's really trying to get their footing, they need a budget. They need to try to stick with it. Just make it a regular part of your, your weekend morning. Get your coffee, sit down, look at your bank statement and update your budget for 15 minutes. I love that. And don't underestimate when you say that some people are past that. And I mean, you know this, mm-hmm. but if you're listening, we have clients that we work with with millions and millions of dollars that may or may not have had a budget to start with. And now they do. It's a simple first step. And many times, the reason I say that is many times people that are just starting say, I don't need a budget yet. I'm just trying to pay my bills. I think that's exactly why you need a budget, right? To figure that out. Then you get the behavior down, whether it's weekly, monthly, whatever it is, just start somewhere, keep that budget and then start moving forward. You can find a template for budgeting almost anywhere. It's just getting a general idea and maybe getting some help if you want the help. Because I know if you're listening, this is probably somewhat exciting to you, but for many people out there, they just don't want to deal with it. It's kind of put the head in the sand and everything will be fine. But I've seen this long, I've been around long enough to see where the people that have done this from the beginning at that first job or somewhat near the beginning, don't feel like it's ever too late, by the way. But if you start doing this, the long-term effects of it can just be huge for your financial situation. It's very relieving, stress-free. And you said this, it's like the weight off the shoulders when you know where your money's going. Mm -hmm. And I I would say, don't ever feel bad about not knowing where it's going. Because again, I've met with people with millions of dollars that you think are all financially set. And sometimes they don't know where their money's going. And people with $10,000 that are just starting, they may, may or may not know either. So that's a great one. What's, what's the third thing you have for us? The third one I have, Dave, is to start investing as soon as you can. And, and this one is a bit more math-based. The first two maybe were a bit more psychological-based, develop some good habits to, to, to set some goals. But the math behind investing, at least traditional, say, stock market investing that many people are familiar with, the dollars that you invest in your 20s will grow more than the dollars you invest in your 30s 40s, and 50s combined. And that's just using historical average annual growth in the S&P 500. So your 20s are powerful. That, that's the lesson here. Investing, I know it can feel complex. I was there, believe me. But what I've learned over the past, say, decade is that it doesn't have to be complex. I, I compare it to cooking. You don't have to start off uh, when you're learning how to cook by creating a four-course meal of complex recipes. You can just start off with pasta and sauce. And uh, in my opinion, these things called index funds, which many of the listeners might be familiar with, but if you're not familiar with them, index funds are like the pasta and sauce of investing. And the cool thing is they're the best pasta and sauce you've ever had. So it's like a gourmet (laughs) pasta meal, but it still only takes a rookie to, to actually cook it. So start investing as soon as you can. And if you're unsure where to start, index funds can be a great place. That's great advice. The, and it almost ties back into, you said the psychological part of it, of number two, figure out how much you can save through the budget yep, and then pick the right place to save it. And I don't want to steal any points here because I don't know what's coming, but definitely start investing. I can tell you from personal experience, 
I started a career. I'm, I'm now 40, so I've gone through the 20s and 30s. And it is amazing how fast it goes. Obviously, we have, we've also had a 10-year huge run-up in the markets, so that has helped. But yep. if you look back at where you are when you're 30 versus where you stand when you're 40, because if you start saving early, the difference is tremendous. A huge, huge difference. So yep. we get more into that later on. But awesome third point. What is fourth on there? All right. So the fourth one is a bit of a, a multi-part tip. I just I titled it My Rules for Debt. And I'm interested, Dave, to hear what you think as I go through okay. these. Yeah. So many, many 20s and 30-year-olds are in some sort of debt. And to be honest with you, that might be why they decide to get serious about their finances in the first place. Mm -hmm. So I have a few rules when it comes to debt. The first one is try to stop accruing more debt, at least until you figure out what you're doing with your current debt. You know, stop the bleeding. Let's stop the bleeding first and then figure out how to heal the wound. So stop accruing debt until you figure out exactly where you're at. I agree with that one. Okay. <laughs> uh, it sounds basic, but you'd be surprised. You would be surprised. Uh, rule number two, categorize the debt. And by that, I mean, most debts have different interest rates. The interest rate is the fee that you pay the lender for the privilege of having borrowed their money. Credit cards tend to be pretty high interest rates, and that's bad for you. Uh, some car loans and some student loans are kind of in this mid-range of interest debts. Okay, it's not quite as bad. Most mortgages, especially if you've gotten a mortgage in recent years, tend to be lower interest rates. And that is what people tend to call good debt. So then once you've figured out what kind of debts you have, prioritize your repayments. High debt is kind of like the fire in your personal finance house. You know, Very few items are going to be more important than putting out that fire. Middle interest is it's a bit touch and go. For many people, it makes sense that they make serious or looking elsewhere. But there, there are choices that you can make with your money when you're looking at paying off that middle interest debt. And then the low interest debt is really, in my opinion, up to you how to handle. And a quick math example, I'm paying about 4% on my mortgage. But I know based on historical data that the stock market, if I were to invest money there, might pay me 8 or 9 or 10% per year on average, never guaranteed. So the question is, should I pay off my mortgage at 4% instead of taking that money and investing it and trying to make 10%? Depends on who you are. Some people just don't like that feeling of being in debt and they want to pay it all off. Totally get it. Other people might be more mathematically inclined and say, I'll take my chances in the stock market. I think that's a better long-term financial move. So to wrap that all up, get a, get a feeling for your debt. Stop accruing more of it until you know where you are, categorize it, and then start paying it off in an order that makes sense. I love it. I couldn't have said it any better. And especially the last part, because I, I work with a lot of people that are headed toward retirement and they still may have a mortgage. And mm -hmm. I know this is for 20s and 30s, but if you take out a, 20, a 30 year mortgage right now, you will be looking at, should I, should I pay off that mortgage or should I keep my investments? And what I typically say is almost word for word what you said, but if somebody just can't stand the thought of debt and it, it's keeping them up at night and it's driving them crazy and they just want to pay it off. A lot of times I just say, you know what, you have other, if you have other things going on, pay, pay it off. Don't use all of your cash to pay it off or liquid assets. But if it makes sense, let's, let's pay it off. And this is, you said this, it's person by person and it's customized to their situation. But on the other side, it makes complete sense if an interest rate right now, a 30-year mortgage is 2.8% as of today, 
if it's 2.8% and you use, if we can go get 5%, maybe, maybe it makes sense to take the 5%. And, and it does, by the way. However, mentally, if it's driving you crazy, let's, let's start paying down the mortgage or pay it off. So, yep. Um, exactly. I, I love that one. And I love the category categories of debt, high interest, low interest. Let's get that done and stop the bleeding. Little side note here, yeah. because I know this is what I would be thinking if I were like 25 years old and you're telling me to do all of these things, how do you possibly do it all? How do I, not, not the budgeting part, but like, how do I save for retirement, pay all my bills? By the way, stop accruing debt if I really have no other way to pay for my groceries and then also pay down my debt, mm -hmm. which is hard mm -hmm. to do typically for a starting salary for a person. Yeah, I mean, that that is true. It is hard to do at a starting salary for many of us. Um, that's the challenge. It's the million dollar question. There isn't always a one size fits all answer there, but I can tell you my answer, my personal answer, mm -hmm. and, and also something that many readers have shared with me. There is usually room in the budget to fit in all the important stuff, but usually it comes at the cost of having to cut out some of the extra stuff that we wish we had. That would be really nice, but you got to make that choice it is, is really what it comes down to. And, you know, a quick example is my, my house, let's say my, the house that I'm talking to you in right now, to me, it's a starter home. It's a little thousand square foot house on the suburbs in the suburbs of Rochester. It's perfect for me and my girlfriend and our dogs, mm -hmm. but my mortgage lender, they gave me the choice of buying three times as much house as I did. I could have bought that house and, and maybe many for some people would make sense. Maybe they wanted to start a family really soon and it makes sense but that'd be a three X difference in my monthly mortgage payment. And I could not be saving as much for retirement. I couldn't have, you know, for, for some people, they wouldn't be able to pay down their student loan debts if they were paying that big of a mortgage. It's all about choices. There are a lot of, a lot of things in this world, Dave, that want our money, so to speak, whether it's dining out or material goods or fun trips. I'm all for that stuff. I think you should spend your money in ways that make you happy but really make sure it's that the happiest choices is where you're focusing your money on. I think too many of us, we buy things that make us happy for a week and then they sit in the closet for a year. And so maybe cutting some of those things out will make room in your budget for all the important stuff. That's, that's great advice. I remember specifically when I was 24 years old and if you're around that age group, you know what I'm talking about. We all got our first jobs. It was great. And then I had two friends that went and bought the same exact infinity at that time it was a very nice nice car it was, it was mm -hmm. great beautiful and i went and bought an inexpensive pickup truck and i can tell you again developing the habits right like they, they were maybe stressed out with payments on a depreciating vehicle and it's a shiny, literally a shiny object that they wanted to go buy and i remember thinking how cool that was and let me tell you it's 16 years later for me there's a large difference in, in what has happened in those 16 years just financially between the people that don't do that and the people that do that. And it's so hard to resist because believe me, you see that and it's like, well, I want one of those. Mm -hmm. But if you, if you can fight the temptation and the urge, it quickly becomes worth it. And I will tell you, if you're in your 20s, time goes much faster than you think it will. And it's <laughs> way cooler to have extra money when you're 40 than to still be making payments on things that are depreciating, right? For the most part. 
Um, absolutely. Not, absolutely not the houses right, right now. <laughs> we won't absolutely get into real right. estate yet. Um, <laughs> so to keep this thing rolling, what is the next point you have for us? Sure. So the next one, we've actually kind of already touched on it, Dave. I call it the soft side of money. A lot of people, they view personal finance from the outside and they think it's math, which yeah, math is important. But most of the math that's involved here is stuff you already learned in school. And once someone explains it to you, once you have a good teacher, the math isn't that bad anymore. But when it comes to spending, just like we were just talking about, that's a psychological decision. That's being able to resist overspending, to try to make the smart choices, the choices that make sense for you in the long run. So there's the soft side of money. And, and trust me, math and psychology, that's not the only one, a few more that I have. Personal finance is personal, duh. Well, what does that mean? It means there's no one size fits all. However, there are many one size fits most. And that's kind of what we've been talking about here today, Dave. If someone's not sure where to start, a great place is to adopt those one size fits most tips and behaviors and see if they work for you. Uh, a couple more that I have. Here's one that I really like. Maybe it's the nerdy engineer coming out in me, but I call it optimizing your success to stress ratio. So imagine we have yes. a fraction, right? We have success mm -hmm. on top. We have stress on bottom in the denominator. We want to have as much success as we can in life, but we also don't want to stress out about it. So find financial behaviors in your life that will optimize your success while minimizing your stress. You know, would you rather work 90 hours a week as a investment banker making $300,000 or have a job you love, something that fuels your fire, working normal hours, and maybe just making 50K a year? For each person, it'll be different because they have different definitions, personal definitions of success and stress. But really taking the time to understand that about yourself is an important financial decision that you can make early in life. That's, that's great. I, I love the ratio. I'm going to steal that. I'm going to steal that. Please, right. please do. Please do. <laughs> All right. As we, as we wrap this up, we have one more thing that we're going to go over and uh, the cool uncle Jesse is going to tell us. So what's, what's our last point today? <laughs> <laughs> so number six I have is to understand that money can be secondary, but it is still important. So some of the biggest decisions that you'll make in your twenties and thirties, they don't have to focus on money, but money should still be in your field of view, as I call it. You know, if you're imagining a picture, money's not at the center, but it's somewhere off at the side. So let's take a couple examples. Your career, just like we talked about, you should find something that you enjoy and that fulfills you. Your twenties and thirties are the time when you want to build that career path, but you also need to think about paying the bills, right? Money's secondary there. It's still important. Your family planning, it's deeply personal. It's about love but your choice in life partner, it, it'll affect your finances. Similarly, your, your family planning, that has an important financial component. Uh, the last one isn't maybe as important or as big, but where you live. We already talked about houses and, and housing and, and where you want to live, where you want your kids to go to school, personal choice, but we all are intimately familiar with why money matters there. So all these decisions are first and foremost, not financial, at least in my opinion, but money is nevertheless uh, this minor role player. So it's just about understanding the role that money plays in your life and how it, it can still be important, even if it's not primary. That's great. Can you run back through? I could do this too, but yeah. one through six very quickly, and then we'll wrap this up and get you on with your day. I know you're a busy guy. So perfect, man. I'd love to. Yeah. So number one, number one was plant the flag and set your goals. Number two, you need a budget. 
Number three, start investing as soon as you can. Number four, understand your debt. Number five, understand the soft side of money. And number six, money doesn't have to be the primary driver in your life, but it is still important. That was awesome. That's, there's our six points wrapped up. So um, maybe I'll send that clip out to everybody afterward. But one thing that I will add into this entire topic, just because I am past my 20s and 30s now, what I will tell people is there are two terrible stresses that can happen in life. And just because Jesse mentioned stress, one is obviously health. We never want health issues. That's, that could be mm-hmm. obviously be the number one stress issue you could ever have. But a close second is financial stress. If you can follow these six things that Jesse just talked about early enough in your 20s and 30s and make it happen, that financial stress could be, I don't want to say it's going to be alleviated. We can't guarantee anything. But if you do these things and follow these behaviors, that financial stress, if that is gone, there's no better feeling than being, well, again, healthy and financially stress-free. So Jesse, thank you so much for your time. Obviously, again, you're a busy guy. If the listeners would like, they can always reach out to me at dpulsini at 6.fb.com or find us on our website and they can get to you through me. Or if they wanted to reach out to you directly or actually also subscribe to the blog, how do we do that? Yeah, thanks for having me on, Dave. First off, this was a blast. This is a blast. And, And listeners, I'd love to hear from you. You can find the blog. It's bestinterest.blog. Feel free to email me, jesse at bestinterest.blog. If you're on Twitter, I know not everybody is, but I'm on there a lot at bestinterest underscore JC. But yeah, check out the blog. I'd love for you to subscribe and I'd love for you to ask me any questions you have. I'm happy to help. Awesome, Jesse. Have a great day and we'll talk to you later. Thank you for listening to the Dear Rochester Retire Well podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Six Point Financial Partners. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Content here is for illustrative and educational purposes only. It is not legal, tax, or individualized financial advice, nor is it a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold any specific security or engage in any specific trading strategy. Results will vary. Past performance is no indication of future results or success. Market conditions change continuously. This commentary reflects the personal opinions, viewpoints, and analysis of Six Point Financial Partners. It does not necessarily represent those of RFG advisory, private client services, their clients, or their employees. This commentary should not be regarded as a description of advisory services provided by Six Point Financial Partners or RFG advisory or performance returns of any client. The views reflected in the commentary are subject to change at any time without notice. Securities offered by registered representatives of private client services, member FINRA SIPC. Advisory services offered by investment advisory representatives of RFG Advisory, a registered investment advisor. Private client services, Six Point Financial Partners, and RFG Advisory are unaffiliated entities. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where RFG Advisory and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. No advisory services may be rendered by RFG Advisory unless a client agreement is in place.